We'll give you a little different experience here before we get started teaching. So, uh, we're in Hosea chapter 8, and uh, I want you to listen to this chapter, um, and then we're going to dive into it. So, brace yourself, because whoever done this, it sounds like they got God's voice pretty good. <laughs> so, I want you to just listen. Close your eyes, whatever you want to do. But there's only 14 verses in this chapter. But I want you to hear it from this perspective, and then we'll, I'll teach on it. Sorry. Welcome, everybody. We're live. Set the trumpet to your mouth. Ye shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold they made idols for themselves, that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this. A workman made it, and it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them. And they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, they have become for him altars for sinning. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah also has multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his palaces. Feels a little heavy, don't it, when you hear it that way? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of the Lord. I, I will admit this to you. I probably listen to the word more than I read it now. We are a, a generation that is so, certainly blessed to have the technology to be able to listen to God's word. And so some of my trips... Every week uh, are anywhere from three to six hours. 
And I spent a lot of that time listening to God's Word. And the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of the Lord. Even if you are a reader, and I am certainly a reader, I love to read. Uh, I would recommend that sometimes when you read your Bible, you read it aloud. Let your ears hear it. Like Jesus said, let these things that I say to you sink down into your ears. So there's a lot to be said for audio scripture. Uh, and certainly, you know, it's, you can read it. You don't have to have a, uh, a Bible app, although that's what you just heard. My favorite Bible app because it uh, stresses when the prophet's speaking or God's speaking. And, but faith comes by hearing the hearing the Word of God. So if you don't have audio technology, you can also read aloud. Let your ears hear it. And I'm a fanatic. I'm a fanatic about God's Word. I'm addicted to it. And I am a fanatic, and I make no apologies for that. Uh, but I have it on my phone. I have it on CDs. I have a little, we sold these, some of you have them. Your, the whole Bible's on that little bitty gray player that we can get you. I carry it with me. I take it in my hotel room, wherever. You can have anything I got except my Bible. <laughs> and... Uh, I'll fight you for that. Uh, the Word of God is the only thing that's going to be left standing. The Word of God heals us. It saves us. It delivers us. It prepares us. It blesses us. It just renews our minds and it brings faith alive and grows our faith. You need the Word of God. We all need the Word of God. So I wanted you to hear that just from the power behind it. Uh, it's easier for me uh, to see things in the scripture as I'm hearing it. Uh, I'm an auditory learner, so I discovered that years ago in college. and It's a blessing to be an auditory learner. Most people are visual learners, that's why I use that board. Because you'll remember something if you see some reference a lot. And I, I certainly I glean from that too, but uh, my gift was to be an auditory learner, to hear it. And, uh, and to retain it. So I love God's Word. And I love it spoken. I love to hear it. I like to read it aloud myself. And I certainly am thankful for it. I'm not a, a, a big lover of technology, but I certainly love that aspect of it. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, the heaviest guy into that, but I do love having God's Word. So now let's go through here and see what God has to say to us and try to break some of this down. Set the trumpet to your mouth, he shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord. Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Now, that's a mouthful there. The trumpet was used for two main reasons in Israel. It was used to gather the people to assemble. And so we're right on the heels of the Feast of Trumpets. It's... Uh, we're in the middle of Teshuva, right, as you've heard me express, which is the, a time of returning to the Lord. We uh, would call that repenting and doing, coming back to the Lord. That's the season we're in, 30 days prior to the Feast of Trumpets, starting on the first feast day, which goes, runs on three days, all the way to Yom Kippur, which would be the 10th day out from the first day of 
the Feast of Trumpets. Did I just confuse you? So we have 30 days of what the Israelites call return to the Lord. We have the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah here on 30 days, right? Countdown. Then this lasts on parts of three days because the evening and the morning were the first day. So they, just like Jesus' resurrection, then out seven days from there is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. All this is a lot of stuff that we could illustrate with this tonight, but I'm not going to get into all of this. But the trumpets, the shofar, was used to announce assemblies, right? And also, it was used to announce war, or the battle, or the incoming enemy. In this case, the enemy, they're getting ready to have to see war. God uses many methods on His own people from allowing the enemy to come in, breaches in the wall. And you, you see this as we study here that God's not just sovereignly judging them. He's starting to drop the hedge, right? Where the enemy can get in, where there are enemies around them will start doing things. And I believe that's what's happening in America. The hedge has been getting lowered and lowered and lowered. And, of course, we saw the hedge, a big gap in the hedge in 2001, right? 9-11. And uh, so I heard an interesting statement. That was celebrated again this past Sunday. I heard an interesting statement about that. One guy said what was striking him the most, what struck him the most uh, in New York when that took place that day. He's a New Yorker. He said what struck him the most was not all the people running out of the buildings, but all of the people running in the buildings, sacrificing their lives for others. And that's who we are as Christians, right? We're, we're, the, we're supposed to be the ones, just like I read to you from the early church a couple of years ago, some of the church history, how they had a plague far worse than the one that we went through, but the Christians decided, hey, we can't hold up. We've got to go minister to those and, and reach them. So the trumpet's going to sound, and they're getting ready for battle because God's going to allow the enemy in on them. But the trumpet is also used for assemblies. Now, this is a prophetic book. And I've shared a few prophetic things with you about Israel being scattered around the earth and they'll be down for two days or 2,000 years. 1,000 years is a day. That's a prophetic statement. And so they, they, they're more excited about what I'm preaching than you all are. <laughs> and, and so after, after the, the, you know, I've been a Revelation student for a long time. And I've been in the Jewish of all the scripture because our Savior was a Jew. I've tried the last 20 years to learn as much Greek and Hebrew as I can so I can be as effective as I can be in this pulpit. And, I, and I, I'm going to have to give an account of myself to God someday. But when you learn about the, the wedding of the Jewish wedding, you learn these festivals, and you've seen me write the early rain, the latter rain a lot. As we get ready to come down to the end of this, this race you see that God has a specific plan in mind, and He keeps trying to show it to us through His Word. Uh, I was sharing a Bible study this morning. Many of you have probably heard me talk about it, but Joseph is the most complete picture of the work of Christ in the New Testament. 
When you study Joseph and you see that he was betrayed by his brothers, he's between two guys, one of them lived, one of them died. He was sold for silver just like Jesus. He had a coat that was special just like Jesus. All those things happened to Jesus, right? He was betrayed by his brothers. He hung between two on a cross. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. He had a cloak or a tunic that they wouldn't divide because it was so unusual without a seam and, and, and all this. And his father loved him. And then Jesus turned to the Gentiles. And so primarily Jesus is going to get Gentiles first in the rapture because that's Paul. He... He, uh, if you'll remember, I may have shared this last week, that Jesus said he alluded to the rapture only one time that we can find. That's in Luke 21, which is my favorite place. I like Luke 21 more, I shouldn't say this, more than Mark or Matthew's either one rendering of that sermon. Because Luke gives us a little bit of something the rest of them don't. He speaks about, alludes to the rapture. Well, then when we get in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul who is the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Remember, God had commissioned him. He said, from henceforth, I'm going to the Gentiles. Why? Because the Israel had rejected him, had rejected Jesus. So now the kingdom's been offered to the Gentiles while the Jews are scattered for two days or 2,000 years. And so we looked at all that in, in Hosea chapter 6. So then Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, Right? And he, he opens up the rapture. Why was Paul? Because the rapture is primarily going to be Gentiles. There will be a few Jews, just like there were a few Gentiles scattered in with Israel. Ruth and some others that we see, they come in. They said, your, your God's my God, I believe. He's, you know, so they, they came into the community. So it was primarily Jewish folks, but Gentiles did trickle in. Now it's primarily Gentiles and Jews do trickle in, just like Jonathan Kahn, who, who's a born-again believer, who's a Jew. Some of you know and seen his work, how God's using him. So we see all this take place. So when I was honest with myself, I had to really, because when you grow up, especially if you grow up in the 70s and 80s, there was a big battle over whether the Lord's coming back before the tribulation, whether he's coming back in the middle of the tribulation, whether he's coming back at the end of the tribulation. Now, I'm like one old timer. He said the end is pretty well easy to discount, Right. Because you could start figuring out the day and all that stuff at some point. Because we know there's 1,260 days divided or times two. And, all. and he, he made a, a, just a real common statement. He said, I don't know what good it would do to go up at the end and do a wheelie and come right back down. Because we're going to be here on earth with the Lord. So the end, the post-trib people, that's pretty easy to deal away with. Uh, and, and then a lot of those people in the 70s and 80s didn't understand the feast the way we do now. They didn't understand the Jewish wedding. So it's getting easier to identify and understand things that God's plan, right? They don't understand the hoopah, which is the honeymoon chamber where they stay for a shabua or a period of seven. And, and they're, in the natural case, seven days. In our case, we'll be in the hoopah for seven years while the world's outside going through the tribulation period. Mid-tribulation is a little easier for some people to uh, get confused because they mislabel the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, and there's some horrible teaching that's been going on since the 70s. It lost some traction, but it's now regained traction again because the devil is doing everything he can to deceive people. That's his number one thing is deceive people. If you thought the devil was trying to make everybody a drug addict, it may seem like that in some hollers or some communities. That's not his goal. He don't care what we get wrapped up in as long as we get wrapped up in something other than Jesus. That's all he cares about. He don't care what we get caught up in. So I have studied that aggressively, but what brought me to this point 
to where I firmly believe that Jesus is coming for the bride before the seven years of tribulation is two things out of the Old Testament. One is Jacob and his marriages, and the other one is King David. Jacob, his first choice was Rachel, right? Remember this story? When he wakes up the next morning, it's Leah, right? I mean, he's, I don't know how that happens. Maybe the candles didn't, they went out. Uh, electricity, I don't know. I don't know how you wake up the next morning and it's the wrong lady. You imagine? I mean, that's got to be a bad feeling. Of course, he earned it, right? He was a deceiver and it kind of worked. I mean, that's better than anything Hollywood comes up with, right? I mean, you, you, marry, you think you're marrying Rachel and you wake up the next morning and it's Leah. I mean, that's got to be a gut punch, don't it? I mean, it's like, oh, what has just happened? So then he labors seven more years and does what? Gets his first choice, right? That's what God's going to do. Where the, Leah was not as pretty as Rachel. The Bible says she was tender-eyed. That means she didn't look as nice as Rachel did, right? We're not as pretty as Israel because we weren't adorned with the things of God. Like Peter talks about, said they were adorned with all the things of God. They blew it. They, they missed their Messiah when he came because of their sin and unbelief. So we are, it's not that God was going to leave us out, but we weren't adorned with all those things like they were. They were... I mean, they had, I mean, I love quail. I wish it fell out of the sky at my house. Quails, if you ever eat quail, if you've never eaten quail, you don't know what you're missing out on. And I, I, I would take grouse over quail, but I don't, I don't maybe God's going to drop grouse down on us believers, right? So, I mean, they had some pretty fantastic things happen, right? Uh, but... Then he worked seven more years. But here's the biggest one that really solidified me staying a pre-tribber. I was trying to be open and honest and to be, uh, study it all. But, a pre, but David. The Bible says when David became king, and I'm bringing this back to this trumpet here. When David became king, he went to Hebron and he ruled for right at seven years. And the Bible says everybody that wanted him to be king went to him there. They ascended to Hebron because they were the ones that wanted him. Who are the people going in the rapture? The people that want Jesus to be the king, right? Not the people that don't want him. We we're, we're want him to be. We're tired of this mess. We, we need one world government. It just don't need to be the Antichrist. It needs to be Yeshua, right? Jesus, the Christ. And so he, he, we're going to go to him there. And then the Bible says something interesting. If you read kings in, in Israel... If they had a 40-year reign, that was considered to be a complete reign, right? They, they completed. If they died anywhere before those 40 years, that particular king was considered not to have fulfilled the whole reign. So David did fulfill his reign, but after seven years in Hebron, the Bible says he moved to Jerusalem and exercised his authority over everybody, even the ones that didn't want him to be king. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. We're going to go to heaven for seven years. He's going to come back with us. He's going to set his kingdom up in Jerusalem. He's going to, the Bible says he's going to rule the earth, Isaiah said, with a rod of iron. And he's going to exercise his authority over the whole earth. A lot of people don't understand that there's going to be natural people that get through the tribulation period that go into the millennial and populate it. 
And that's why Isaiah says, and we'll get into all this this fall, that's why Isaiah says if, a, if somebody dies at 100 years old, they're going to be considered a child because long life's going to be restored, right? So what does that tell you? That tells us what's cut into our lives, sin. Now, remember me preaching a few weeks ago about the root of everything is sin, the root of everything bad? doesn't mean you have a bad situation because of your personal sin. That can happen. We know that can happen. But there would be no sickness if Satan hadn't tricked them in the garden. You understand that? So the, all the problems we're having, no matter what they are, the root of all of it is because Satan got in the garden and messed everything up, and they went along with it. So this trumpet will sound for two reasons. To assemble God's people, and that's why we have the Feast of Trumpets, is the picture of the, the catching away of those who want Jesus to be king. That's a good way to say it. You know who's going in the rapture? Everybody that wants Jesus to be king. Everybody that's made him the king in their lives already. Those are the ones that are going in the rapture. You want to figure that out? That's it. And so primarily, he's getting this, the, the tender-eyed ones first, right? Us Gentiles. And then he's going to work seven more years. And Paul said in Corinthians, at the end of that seven years of tribulation, which is called a time of Jacob's struggle, he told Daniel, he said, it's a time I'm going to deal with your people. So the focus has been on the Gentiles for the last 2,000 years. When the, church, when the true believer leaves... The focus is going to return back to the Jews. doesn't mean other people aren't going to be saved. Because John said in Revelation, I saw a number that no man can number coming out of the great tribulation, which is from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So a lot of people are going to be getting saved during the tribulation period, but it's probably going to cost them their lives. They're probably going to die for it. So it's time of Jacob's trouble. But God said, I'm going to deal with your people, Daniel. So the focus is on the Gentiles now. That's coming to a close. How do we know that's coming to a close? Because Jesus said, when you see uh, the Gentiles no longer trod down or control Jerusalem, he said, know that this generation will not pass till everything's going to be done. That was 1967. So the best idea we have of a generation prophetically in the Bible is 70 years. There are other 40-year generations and different things. So we are at the end of the age. We are staring it in the face. And if you go from 1967 to 1937, you have 70 years. Now, we don't have any guarantee that it's going to be delayed to 2037. The Lord could come this year, right? We don't know the day or the hour, but we know we're in the season. Paul gave us clear instruction and Jesus that we would recognize the season. We don't know the day or the hour. Now, when the Feast of Trumpets, these people are getting ready to sound the shofars, right? I'm trying to get back to Hosea 8. Just hang on here with me for a minute. The, the, these people, are they, they know Feast of Trumpets. And so all the homework I've done, I'm going to share a few things with you that will make you understand things a little bit better. As Gentiles, we're more Greek thinkers because that's how we've been trained until you get in the Bible and you realize that 90% of your Bible was written from the Jewish culture. All right? So... God didn't pick the Jews out because he loved a group of people better than anybody else. There were no Jews. God found a man. And when I troubleshoot with churches, a lot of them don't like to hear what I'm getting ready to tell you, but I tell them this whether they like it or not. God never raises up people until he raises up a man. That's just the way he works. We may not like it. I know we're, we're a democratic society and we like to vote on everything. 
But that's not how God works. You don't get no vote in heaven. And God always raises up a man before he raises up people. He's done the same with Moses. And God didn't look down here and say, I like the Jews better than ever. There were no Jews. There was a man whose name was Abram who was a Chaldean. He wasn't a Jew. God separated him, changed his name from Abram to Abraham. See, they use gutturals. We talked about this in the Bible study this morning. They use breath sounds. They come from the gut because it represents the breath of life, right? God changed this man from Abram to Abraham. His seed became known as the Jews slash the Israelites. That's how God worked. He didn't, he didn't look for a group of people that he liked better than everybody else. The Jews didn't even exist when God called Abraham. God called him and separated them with the seal of circumcision. Now he said, I want to use you guys. I'm going to bring my, my only begotten son through this lineage. And I want to use you and adorn you with all my stuff so the west, rest of the world will see who I am. They'll be, and so now that, that's been handed off to the church to some degree. And so God changed his wife's name, right? From Sarah to Sarah, right? So he puts the breath of life into us. When I first got a hold of this and learned this, I preached it. And some lady in the uh, church took it and wrote a book on it. And I've still not got any royalties off that. <laughs> but she wrote a whole book on the ha of God, how he puts his breath. That's what changes our lives, right? When God's life comes in us. So in the Old Testament, God signifies. So he found this man, all right? Now, as they grew, God began to give them more of his stuff, these feasts that we talk about. So when this happened, <clears throat> the Feast of Trumpets, every year the, the Jews use a lunar calendar for prophetic reasons, not a solar calendar. And so they watched the moon, and that's how they know when the feasts are coming. They have two new years. They have the new year and the fall of the year, which is right now coming with the Feast of Trumpets. They have a new year because God gave them new life, brought them out of Egypt, right, for the Seder, the Passover time. So they have two new years. It's a picture of two births. Right? You were born physically and then you were born spiritually. Right? And when you look at Jacob and Esau, uh, actually Jacob and Esau forgave one another and all that stuff, good stuff. And we'll probably see both those guys in heaven the way it turned out. And I'm a believer that Nebuchadnezzar made it to heaven. When you read his testimony, he finally got it, right? When he said, I now know who's in charge and it ain't me, right? And he said, we stole the most. So we're going to see some folks in heaven that repented and got right. But, but when, when before those two guys were born, God gave a word and he said, the older shall serve the younger, right? So Jacob was born second, Esau was born first, and it wound up that Jacob was the rule. That's a picture of salvation. Your oldest man or woman is your natural person. Your youngest person is the one that was born again at whatever point that happened in your life. So now the older man, right, the soul, spirit, and the body, the older man is supposed to submit and serve the younger man who's born again, who has the spirit of God in him. Those are all, you see, God was trying to show us salvation from Genesis chapter 1. It's all about His Son and about salvation. And so the Bible says, just like you and I, before we were born again, the earth was, was formed with, and was void and, and was darkness covered it, right? That's us. We are, have, we're, uh, have no form and we're void inside and darkness covers our lives until God said, let there be light, right? Those are all pictures of the work of His Son to bring us to salvation. God has been so thorough 
And so this Feast of Trumpets, the father took the first responsibility. So wherever they were at in Israel's land, they had to know where God's people assembled. And so they, they had certain things to assemble for, right? And this was one of them. So the father would bring his family within proximity of hearing the trumpet or the shofar. That was his responsibility first. So that when the family heard the shofar blow, they would go up with the rest of God's people. What's going to happen to rapture? We're going to meet each other in the air with people from all over the earth. We're going to go up. The dead in Christ will rise first, Paul said. Then those of us that alive remain will be caught up together to be with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then we'll come back with him. So the Father wanted... Now, one of the problems with our understanding or our lack of understanding as a Gentile is when we hear Paul say at the last trump, we run over to Revelation and try to find the last shofar blown and then we build our theology off of it. That's why we got all this crazy stuff, right? But what happens is when you study this, there are three shofars blown at least on the Feast of Trumpets. The first trump... The last trump, which is not the last trump, it's the second one blown. These are titles of the trumpets or the shofar. And the final one is called the great shofar or the great trump. So we, get all, we try to build doctrine off of logic. See, Jews use block logic. We use linear logic, or that's the way we're trained. But they, they have standalone block logic. It's an interesting study. You ought to dig into that sometime. In fact, I might share it with you in a different setting. So this father don't know the day or the hour, but he knows the season. So he knows the season by the moon. So every year they got ready to assemble with God's people. My wife and I practice this now. We get giddy around the Feast of Trumpets. We're saying, is this going to be the year? Right? I don't, I'm not ashamed to say this. I got too much gray hair to worry about it anymore. But I believe the Lord's coming back in the fall of the year. I believe he's coming back on the Feast of Trumpets. I don't know the day nor the hour because it takes place on three different days. It takes place, but we know the season, right? We know the season. And so if Jesus fulfilled these first four feasts, and he did, on the very days they happen, it would be a stretch to say that he's not going to do the other. Now, we don't know the day nor the hour. We don't even know the year, but we know the season. So we get ready. And so it's his, when they hear the trumpet, to go up, they go up. They don't know the day. They don't know the hour. And you can't know the day nor the hour because the, the priest would blow the shofar whenever they blew the shofar. And so we have so many types and shadows of things in our Bible to prepare us for the day we're living in. And I want you to take some uh, encouragement from this. God put you and I here in the last days because he's counting on us. I mean, there's a lot of great people in the Bible. I would have thought maybe they had, maybe had Peter or somebody in the last days. Somebody would pull a sword out and cut somebody's ear off. But he put us here. You and I. He called us out of darkness. As asked us to be his ambassadors. To tell the world about his plan. And to help to plant and water. It takes the God to give the increase. But we should be faithful to plant and to water. And then let God give the increase. We are running out of time. We are running out of time to share this message. Your Bible is built around two main themes. Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming. 
Coming the first time to be born as a man to die in our place. Coming the second time to set everything right and to gather those, his bride unto himself. Now this trumpet, now think about this. When that shofar sounds, I don't know how it's going to go. I think, you know, it could go, maybe only those who are true followers of the Lord will actually hear it. Who knows? Maybe the whole world will hear it and start freaking out. But if they don't hear it, it ain't going to take them long to figure out they got left. So a shofar can be the greatest sound you've ever heard in your life, or it can be the worst sound you've ever heard in your life. Imagine what's going to happen. You know, you see some of you, these pictures, because there was a big push in the 70s about the end of time in churches. And, and, and we get lulled to sleep, right? We forget. And things, we just get caught up in things. But, you know, if, if 70s, if we're that close, we're close. I mean, just moments away based on the amount of time that's lapsed. And so this shofar could be the greatest sound you hear if you're a true believer. Or it could be the worst sound you hear. Can you imagine what's going to happen when people look around and people are... I showed you that little clip a few weeks ago about the church, right? A lot of the church was gone, but there were some people in the pews that didn't go up. And that'll be true. That'll be true. There'll be people in the pews that don't go up. What a day. What a moment. Rejoicing, can you imagine what you're going to be thinking flying up through the air? What about the sunlights on the earth? I don't know. I don't know if God will allow them to see us go up or not. But at some moment, they're going to realize they missed the rapture. And at that point, you'd think the whole world would believe in it, but there'll be people that'll just keep right on line. They'll just keep right on line. Because at the end of the thousand years, the Bible says, Satan will be loose. So now, when that thousand year reign starts, the Bible says in Revelation that the devil will be bound for that thousand years and cast in the bottomless pit. It doesn't say anything about his demons. But the leader will be chained and thrown in the bottomless pit. Now, I can't imagine what it would feel like to fall for a thousand years. Out of, you imagine being out of control. That would be miserable. But the Bible says at the end of that thousand years, God's going to loose him. Because here's what God will not have in heaven. He will not have robots. Your decision, and anybody that's watching me or listening gets this podcast, you have to decide to follow. That's what separates God from every other ruler. He doesn't force anyone to serve Him. It wouldn't be no relationship, right? If you're forced into it, there's no relationship there. God's after relationship. The God of the universe who don't need us at all wants a relationship with us. And that's really what happens when you have a newborn, right? That newborn can't do anything for us, right? But it's that relationship we long for, right? Your baby wasn't the prettiest baby that's ever born. But you thought it, right? Yeah, that's right. That's how we all feel, right? Prettiest thing's ever been born. But that relationship you cherish, you desire, that's what God's after because we don't add anything to God. I mean, when I got saved or you got saved, God didn't wipe his brow and say, whew, I'm glad they're on our side. Because we're going to have trouble out there. I don't know. That, that's not how this works. He's all God whether you and I show up or not. And so God has 
desires relationship with us. That's why it's so tragic that anybody would go to hell. Because he said that hell was not created for us. Now, let's go back to Hosea before we quit. So the trumpet to your mouth. In this case, it's going to be war. But basically, both is going to happen when the rapture takes place. You're going to have chaos and war on the earth starting, cranking up not long after that probably. And then it's going to be an assembly for those of us who, are, who want him to be king. So, he shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant, rebelled against my law. That's the problem. God's not looking at other stuff. We, we analyze everything to death. Have you notice that? There's a flow chart for everything. Let me know what I'm talking about. The big push started probably in the 80s. The whole world thinks data is the greatest thing that's ever shown up. God don't look at all the data points. He just looks at how we respect or do not respect His Word. That's all He's looking at. It doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter which side of the tracks we were born on. It doesn't matter what nation we're in, what, any of that. What matters is what we do with His Word. If we respect it and honor it and make it a part of our lives. That's what He's looking at. He's not looking at what kind of car we drive or what neighborhood we live in or if we're poor or rich. He's not a respecter of person, so he don't look at the poor any different than he does the rich. He's just looking at the heart. You remember when they were talking about getting David uh, as uh, Samuel was going through us and the Lord told him, he said, "I, I don't look on the outward appearance as men do. He threw that line in there. He said, I look at the heart. God looks at the heart. And so we got all kinds of situations that we don't have the, a full enough knowledge about. But God knows everything about everything, and He don't make mistakes. He cannot do wrong. He don't, everything He does is perfect. So when you have a situation that you can't fully grasp or understand, you can rest right there that God is perfect, that He doesn't do any wrong. And then He says, Israel will cry to me, My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. So now you see God don't just come down and squish people or pick them up with his hands and scatter them. Sometimes he uses other nations to judge his people, right, or situations. He says, the enemy will pursue you. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. So that's when they get outside the boundaries of God and start playing by their own rules. If you want to find out how this is kept alive, go over to Revelations and see where he talks about the Laodiceans. The Laodiceans, God, Jesus said, these are people that I hate their deeds and so do you, and he was commending them. The Laodiceans are people who just ruled by their own ways. They didn't follow God's. You know, David would not do that. If Saul introduced politics into the world's fear. This is where, and not everybody that's in politics does this, but most of them do it anymore. Politics came into the moment when, when Samuel came up and rolled up on Saul and said, did you do what God asked you? And Saul's response was a lie, half lie at least, but it was a lie. Half lie is a lie, right? And he said, yeah, I've done everything. And as soon as he said that, basically, we hear this, meh. And Samuel said, well, why am I hearing these sheep? Then here's his response. The people. Now, we got this in ministry. We got this in politics. We even got parents that do this now. That's why we're in such a mess in this world. 
He was said, I care more about what the people wanted than what God wanted. And that's when politics walked in the door in this world. And notice that. There, there, if you go back and play clips from some of the politicians that are in Washington, D.C., you can roll the film back and you can find some of them saying, we're against abortion, we're against homosexuality, whatever. And then six years later, eight years, why? Because they care more about what people think than what God thinks. And that, my friends, will not fly on Judgment Day. That's all God's concerned with. He don't care about anybody's skin color. He don't care about which side of the tracks you grew up on. He don't care about any of that. He cares what you've decided to do with His Son and His Word, which are one and the same. The Bible said Jesus was the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. That's why we got people in the church saying, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't believe what the Word says. You can't do that. You can't separate the Word from Jesus because they're one and the same. You go over the epistle of John, he said, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Spirit, and the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. That's all God's interested in. He don't care what kind of car we drive. He don't care how much money we make. He don't care how many degrees we have. You're not going to get anywhere in heaven with that. What we're going to walk through the gate is, is what we've done with His Son, which is the Word made flesh. That's all that matters to God. If we followed Him, if we received His Son, if we believed His Word and followed His Word. He said, Israel rejected good, the enemy will presume. They set up kings, but I'm not involved in that. And that's what the Laodiceans were doing. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. So God blessed them immensely with provision. And they took that provision and made false gods with it. Remember what Aaron did? He started, he started this whole mess off. Moses up on the hill, the leader, and they, he don't come home soon enough. And so Aaron, the people talk Aaron into making a golden calf. And then Moses comes down, kind of like what Saul did. And he said, what happened here? And Aaron said, ah, we just threw golden fire and a calf walked out. We're stupid when we sin, you know it. We make up stupid stuff when we want to justify it. Instead of just saying, you know what, that was completely wrong. We need to repent. But we want to argue about it. That's how the flesh is. He said, your calf is rejected, O Samaria. And Samaria is the northern kingdom. When he says that, my anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this. A workman made it, and it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. So they start trusting in their own hand. They start making their own gods. They start practicing their own ways. They make their own religion. And that's, we've seen that over and over in the world. They sold the wind, they reaped the whirlwind. This is similar to what Paul said in Galatians, right? If you sow the flesh, you reap, you reap death. If you sow the Spirit, you reap life. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So basically saying the same thing here. They, the stalk has no bud, it will not produce meal. And if it should produce meal, aliens would swallow it up. In other words... He lets the hedge down and the foreigners come in to Israel and start devouring their land. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure. So that's what happens. He's prophesying their doom. And Israel winds up getting scattered in the world for almost 2,000 years. They've just been going home since 1948. Like a vessel in which is no pleasure, for they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Now we say this a lot. That's what's happening here. We say it just about every Sunday. Some trust in chariots and horses, 
but we trust in the name of the Lord. They started leaning on other people. God told them, said, don't you make no alliance with people, no military alliance or no uh, uh, commercial or industrial, that's not the right word, where you trade goods, alliance with people who worship false gods. That's what he told Israel. And they did it anyway. And he said, and, that, and we've done the same thing here in America. Everything you see happening in Israel is coming our way because we've, done, we've treated God the same way. There's no nation that comes close to being as blessed as Israel on the whole history of the world except the one you and I are sitting in tonight. God has been so good to this country. He's blessed us with resources, everything we have. Who do you think put all that stuff in the earth? God did. God put it. And finally, uh, this, happened, this has happened twice when we were out in Arizona Last year, filming at the Grand Canyon. Uh, Y'all remember the little film with the squirrel running around coming up on video that liked what he was hearing, I guess. He's a God guy, maybe, you know. But we stopped to hear one of the guides that was explaining the Grand Canyon. Now, I've been going out there a lot of years, and it's changed. She said to the, the people that was in her little talk looking out over the canyon, she said, we used to think this canyon was cut by the river and all that. She said, we now know that all this was underwater at one time. I said, you're getting there, but you just, won't, you just won't give God any credit, will you? You just won't go that far. So God keeps revealing himself, right? He keeps showing up, and we keep... Now, one of the latest things, they've put a satellite out, and now some of the scientists are starting to think that there's no way there could have been a big bang. I say, let God be true and everybody else be a liar, like the Bible says, right? So we keep getting, I remember reading this story when I was young, or maybe my mother read it to me, because we would have devotions pretty regular at my home, and she would read devotions and scripture and then hand us off something that was part of the devotion. There's this scientist in New England years ago who was trying to come up with a grasp on how the, the world had unfolded time-wise, and he was missing some time. His little understudy, who had grown up in Sunday school, said, I remember in the Bible, a time when the sun stood still because God had had the battle that he wanted them to get finished. And this little Bible boy who wasn't the scientist said, hey, I remember something. And they caused the scientist to get saved and born again because he realized how big God was. Your God can do anything. Tell your neighbor, say, my God can do anything. Who are you serving? <laughs> Our God can do anything. So we have a great God who's on time all the time. Can you say amen? He says, uh, they went up like a donkey. They're trusting in other things other than God. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes, because Ephraim has made many altars for sin. They have become for him altars for sinning. And that's what happened even in a lot of the church. Jesus run into the church, and notice how this works. You can see this sometimes on television with ministries. He went in and run and cleaned everybody out, flipped the tables over, took a whip and run them all out. And he made an interesting statement. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The Greek word is prosuche. It doesn't mean you come in here and pray constantly. It means it's a place where you seek God. You're here tonight seeking God because you're eating from His table. Prayer, worship, the sowing of the Word. We're here because you could have been anywhere tonight. It's a testimony for people to drive by here on Wednesday and see this mean people coming out to be fed and to sit at God's table. That's a testimony to those who drive by here. Because you, uh, we, mm, man, I could preach all night, I think. We get this, and I've not wrote this up here in a long time. We get the word worship 
from a contraction of two words. That's where our we worship. So when we worship, if you go back and read the Bible, giving is worship, singing is worship, prayer is worship, attending God's feet, all that's worship. And, and it means that we, when we worship, we ship worth to God, right? We, we, why do we write out of our checkbooks? Why do we sing? Why do we honor God with there? Because we place value on Him. We place greater value on God than anything else in our life. So we ship Him worth. He's worth more than anything else in our lives. So it's not a chore to worship. It's not a chore to give. It's not a chore to sing. It's not a chore. It's an it's a opportunity. It's a, it's a blessing to be able to do those things. Because every good and perfect gift in my life has come down from Him. Somebody ought to give God praise. Amen. So that's why you're here tonight. You ship Him worth, right? You, you place value on God more than anything else in your life. That's why we live the way we live. And he, said, I, he says, Ephraim's made the altar for sinning. And we see that, the place of merchandise. He said, you took my father's house that should have been a place where you seek and honor him to a place of merchandising. And, and, and a, lot of, a lot of ministries have turned into that as well. He says, I've written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity, punish their sins, they shall return to Egypt. Go back unto bondage. Sin leads to bondage. Let me tell you something else sin does. He says, he says I've written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. Let me tell you what else sin does. It messes your thinking up. It messes our thinking up. You can't toy around with sin and not get your thinking screwed up. And that's the deception of sin. You stay in it long enough, you begin to think that it's normal. Let me read this now. I'll share one more thing with you. For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah has also multiplied fortified cities. But I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his places. God, this is a time where God said, you're going to be judged. Ezekiel, you know, God had Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel. Isaiah and Jeremiah were pleading with Israel to stop sinning and come back to God. And God kept saying, if you'll stop, I'll stop the judgment. It's over. We'll be done with this. But then when Ezekiel came on the scene, God said, I don't care if Noah's here, Job was here, Daniel was here. I'm judging them. Tell them if they try to run from judgment, I'll kill them wherever they go. In other words, God said, that's it. I'm judging. That's what we're seeing here with Hosea. God is so long-suffering, though. It's amazing to me how long-suffering He is. But your mind or my mind can go, get so distorted with sin that it causes us to do stupid things. Have you ever noticed, have you ever, run in, have you ever had anybody in your circle that's a liar? And that they've lied so long they believe their own lies. And when you catch them in a lie, they tell another lie. That's how deceptive sin can be. And now I'm just using one example. I'll leave you with this. There was a high school girl in Illinois who came home. She was 17 years old. And when she'd come home, her mother testified to this. She'd come home, 
she would go upstairs, lock herself in her room for 30 minutes, and not want anybody to bother. This went on for several days, maybe two or three weeks. Her mother finally got up to enough courage because her mother was afraid there was something bad wrong, like she was doing drugs, whatever. She was having whatever. So her mother finally calls her down one day and said, Listen, I've been watching you come home every day, go into your upstairs, go in your room, lock the rest of us out, and then you come down. She said, Is there something wrong? And she said, Well, Mom, she said, I go out there into that school for eight hours a day, and I'm around so much ungodly stuff. She said, By the end of the day, I begin to think that's normal. And she said, what I do is I come home every day, go upstairs and read my Bible for 30 minutes to remind myself that ain't normal. But that's what happens to us, right? We get lulled to sleep. That's why Jesus said in Luke 21, he says that that, be, that, that day wouldn't take, catch us off guard or unawares, that we wouldn't be bogged down with drunkenness, reveling, and cares of this life. That's the big one. I'm just so busy. Remember that old song? I may sing it for you. I'm feeling so good. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll get together then. Yes. Sad Dad. Remember that song? It's a story about a dad whose son turned out just like him because he kept calling his son, wanting him to come around. And at the end of the song, he says, I realize my boy grew up just like me. Because every time his boy would say, come throw ball, Dad, come do this, he wasn't there. And then he wants his son to come around because now he's retired and got time. And his son keeps throwing an excuse. I wonder how many of us do God, God that way. He does everything for us. And he gets the least amount of time of anybody in our lives sometimes should I go on the road with that song or what what do y'all think <laughs> let's pray father we thank you for this time we've had together we thank you most of all for your son who died in our place where would we be without you Jesus and you brought us into your family man the mercy and grace you've shown and long suffering you have shown in our lives is uncomprehendable. You are such a long-suffering, good, merciful Savior. But you do have a cutoff point. The world's going to see that soon. And we just pray, God, that you'll find us faithful. That we will be faithful ambassadors. That we won't make life all about ourselves and our stuff and our next phase. We'll just take one day at a time because... None of us in this building or that's watching this podcast or video have the promises of tomorrow. Not a single one of us. May we live our lives unto you. May we get ready for that shofar to sound. May we try to lead as many as we can to be ready to hear that shofar as well. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Mm-hmm.